This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. We like to think we're pretty self-aware. We like to think that we put out the vibe that we want and that we put out the image. Even if we're private people, we think that we've projected an image of ourselves that's correct. And, but the problem is, is objectivity in our minds and hearts doesn't come very easy. And sometimes we can su- be surprised when people pay attention. I had a, a friend one time who had a, a habit or a tick that he was unaware of. Anytime he uh, stretched the truth or maybe told a little lie, he would hum. Right after he said it. And he thought he was completely, un- he thought no, I mean he didn't even know about it himself. So one day he and his wife were discussing, if you will, a certain topic that they were disagreeing. And he said something and she said, listen honey, I just know you're not telling me the truth because as soon as you said that you hummed. And he goes, no I didn't, hmm. And, and, then, and, for- <laughs> and then in that moment he didn't know how to speak. I mean, he just started sweating, and he's telling me the story. He's like, I didn't know how to talk to my wife anymore. I didn't know how to go to work. And all of a sudden, I realized that I'm humming all day long. I'm singing songs because I'm stretching the truth, and I had no idea that I did that. So the guy was perplexed. He didn't know what to do. Well, knowing ourselves is pretty difficult, but it's something I think we all value. I mean, Plato said, know yourself, and Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Psalm 4 says, when you lie in your beds, be silent and search your heart. So no matter what you do or say or think or feel, I think knowing yourself is a a valued characteristic. And knowing ourself makes up our self-image or identity. Now, when you think about your identity, uh, so often we define those things in various ways. Perhaps you define your identity by what you do. I'm a pastor or I'm a teacher, I'm an engineer, I'm a student, and we think that's, that's who we are. Maybe we define ourselves by our family. I'm a child, I'm a parent, I'm a husband. Maybe you define yourself by what you're not. I am not rich. I am not on a reality television program. Maybe you define yourself by how you look. I'm attractive. I'm ugly, I'm thin, I'm not thin. Now, the problem with defining ourselves in such a way, there's two problems with that. One, all those things can change in a minute. You can be a teacher one moment and not be a teacher the next. You can be rich in one moment and definitively not be rich the next. You can be 
overweight in one moment and skinny in the next. Those things shift and change. Here's the other problem. We don't perceive those things correctly either. I might think I'm an incredibly handsome man, (laughs) but I might not be. I might think I'm not rich, but to the rest of the world, they would think I'm the richest man in the world. I might think so many things about myself, but think about them incorrectly. So when you think about that, you're like, well, how in the world do I identify myself? How do I have a correct perception of my self-image? And I would say you would need to fix those two problems. You would need to know something about yourself that doesn't change, and you'd have to have a correct perception of it. And I would offer that the only place to find that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we hope to do with this sermon is answer that question. How does the gospel of Jesus Christ inform our identity or our self-image? And we're going to hope to do that by looking at Galatians Starting in chapter 1, verse 6. Let me read uh, verses 6 and 7 for us. This is Paul, and he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's addressing the Galatian believers, and he can't believe that after they finally learn the truths about Jesus Christ, finally learn the gospel, that they're so quickly deserting it. And the gospel they learned is this. The gospel they learned is that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you strive, no matter the amount of obedience or ritual practice you do, you will not and cannot earn God's love. Now, part of every single person's identity is that we're broken, fallible, sinful people that stand apart from God's love because of our sin. And that's not good news for your identity, but fortunately, it's only one half of the gospel. The other half of the gospel that Paul had proclaimed to the Galatians is that, well, yes, you are a sinner, but Christ pays the penalty of sin. Yes, you are unrighteous, but Jesus gives you his righteousness. And so the other half of the gospel they learned is that Jesus meets every need that you have. Jesus gives us those things and promises not to take them away. Now, these truths should be comforting. Uh, It is disturbing to reckon with the truth that we're sinful, even God's enemies apart from Jesus, but it should be comforting that everything needed is provided by Jesus, and these truths are unchanging. Jesus describes it in this way. He said, hey, listen, God has given me a people, children, if you will, and I hold them in my hand. And there's no one, no single person, not even yourself, that can remove them from my hand. That's how secure that truth is. So with that great truth, Paul's amazed. He's like, Galatians, why would you leave that truth? Why would you try to identify yourself not in Jesus Christ, but identify yourself by how good you think you are? Why would you do that? You see, there were people that came behind Paul that told them there's just a little bit more required. And they sought to distort the gospel and to disturb the Galatian believers. The question is, well, how do you know 
if people are informing you of such things. And you say, well, if people are telling me that the gift of Jesus has to be earned, then I guess it is not a gift. If they tell me that I'm right back where I was before, then I haven't actually received anything from God. And Paul says that's a false gospel. It's attempting to trouble you. So let's do that litmus test for ourselves, won't we? Let's ask that question in our own hearts. When you consider who you are, do you say, first and foremost, I have faith in Jesus Christ, not only for forgiveness, but for goodness. And then the next question to ask of your hearts and your identity is, am I believing that that goodness and forgiveness cannot be taken away from me? Now, if we answer those questions in any way other than yes, then what we would be believing is a false gospel, according to Paul. Think about that in terms of your self-image. Think for a moment, if we can, uh, who do I think I am? Not in the who do you think you are kind of way, but who do I think I am? And ask yourself, do I walk around in a day-to-day kind of way thinking, I'm completely forgiven for my sin? I am completely righteous because Jesus is righteous. Do I think I'm completely equipped for whatever God would call me to do? But if we place categories like I'm a pastor or I'm wealthy or I'm attractive or unattractive, if we place those categories above our identity in Jesus Christ, then in one sense... We're following or believing a false gospel. It's true, we are teachers, engineers, and we do look various ways, and we do have various income brackets. There are ways in which we categorize ourselves, but through Jesus Christ, you would have a new identity. In fact, it would be the primary identity in which you understand all those other things. I am forgiven, and that enables me to be a pastor. I'm forgiven, and it enables me to be poor or skinny or overweight or whatever other category by which you think about yourself. And Paul wants that statement so ingrained in your hearts that he gives a warning. In verse 8, he says, listen, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, and so I'll say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. The truth of who we are in Jesus Christ is so sure that an apostle or an angel could show up and tell you something different, and Paul would say, curse them. Paul would say, curse anyone that tells you that your relationship with God is dependent upon how good you were this week. Paul would say, curse anyone that tells you to try to go out and earn God's affection. He would say, curse anyone that wants to treat you as if you are a second-class citizen or anyone that tells you that you should not be loved. Now, the problem is, is that it is often our own hearts that tells us those things. I don't know about your week. No one showed up to me and said, Gordon, 
God doesn't love you because you weren't good. No one showed up. You may have thought it. I don't know. But no one showed up and told me that this week. My heart at various times told me that, though. Whether consciously or not, I began to act my week out in a way that somehow I was apart from the affection of God because of my sin. And that was one of those times where my hearts were believing a gospel different than what is proclaimed in Scripture. Paul gives us a uh, sort of a barometer or a litmus test to let us know how we do with this, okay? And he does it in verse 10. He says, If I am now seeking the approval of men, excuse me, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, fundamentally, we live out our understanding of God and the gospel. We live it out in relationship with each other. And our security in understanding that we are safe with Jesus is tested as we interact with the insecurity of the relationships here. No matter how much we love each other, no matter how much we are committed to each other, these relationships are not as secure is our relationship with Jesus. So as we live out understanding our security with Jesus, we become insecure. This person withholds affection for me when I am sinful. Undoubtedly, God must. I'm pretty mean and vile to this person. They're mean and vile back. It must be in some way the way God views me. But you see... Instead of viewing our relationship with God through the interaction of these relationships, we should view the interaction of these relationships through the security we have with God. I mean, Paul makes it simple. He's saying, listen, it's a dead end trying to win men's approval. And it's a dead end trying to win God's approval. Neither are attainable for you. But if you want to understand whether you get the gospel or not, ask yourself this week whether you ran around trying to get other people's approval. Now, some of us are quite confident and will say, I don't care what people think about me. And I would say, you guys are so full of it. <laughs> I really would. I'd say, I mean, we do a very good job of running around and living in that way, but in some sense, we really do fundamentally care what other people think about us. So I'll share a, an embarrassing story that happened to me yesterday. Uh, yesterday we had our presbytery meeting, which is the gathering of pastors in the area. And at the last presbytery meeting, I left about 30 minutes early. And in those 30 minutes, they gave me a task to do. I'm sure somewhere along the line I should have read a copy of the minutes or something, but I I walked into our meeting yesterday blissfully unaware they were expecting a report from me on something. And the last 15 minutes is... We're almost done. I'm thinking I'm going to get home early. And the moderator said, Gordon, I would like, would you please give us a report on such and such? Excuse me? I incredibly respect and value the people in that room. And I said, "Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Moderator, could you you say that again? He said, well, we would like the report that you have about such and such. I would be unable to give you that report, Mr. Moderator, and would love for some information from the chair about what you're talking about. I mean, I didn't even know I was supposed to give a report, much less the... And, uh, well, they weren't very happy with me yesterday. <laughs> Understandably so. I have no one to blame. I didn't read the docket from last week. And, <laughs> and in that moment, in that sweat-filled moment where they're trying to figure out what to do with me because I didn't do what they had asked me to do, 
You have that identity crisis. I am an idiot. <laughs> I am not a detail-oriented person. I am. And I began to define myself by all the I am nots. And I honestly had to get home and spend a few moments and say, but how I am, however, completely loved and forgiven by my Savior, despite the fact that I didn't do a very good job at Presbytery today. Now, it's a, uh, an example where the approval of men was found wanting in my case, and I had to struggle for a few minutes to reckon my relationship with God, quite honestly. You see, our, our interaction and our relationships with others is where our understanding of the gospel intersects. If you want to understand who you are and your identity, ask yourself how often you walk around secure day in and day out. But we make mistakes. We uh, don't turn in reports. We don't look very nice some days. We just wake up hateful some mornings. And we begin to criticize and disdain ourselves. And we spend an inordinate amount of time degrading, insulting, and criticizing ourselves and others for whatever reason. And you know what? Maybe we have just flat-out sinned. (laughs) Maybe we are ugly that day. (laughs) Maybe we didn't do a very good job. But the question is, um, what do you think about yourself in those moments? And I would say, if you are flat-out outward sinning, I would encourage you towards repentance. If you don't like the way you look, if by any way possible, ask God to help change it. (laughs) If your job is going poorly and you're struggling with your identity because of that, I would ask once again that you would go to God and the power that he offers us to change anything you might want to change. However, your worth is not diminished in the sight of God no matter how those things go up and down. And when we do think our worth is diminished, it is essentially saying, Jesus, thanks, but no thanks. We do need to confess sin. We need to ask God to help change unhealthy patterns in our lives. But those things no longer define you. Through Jesus Christ, you are defined by Jesus Christ. God doesn't look down and say, well, those are some of Jesus' friends, so I guess I have to like them. No. He says, there's my child. There's the one my son died for and gave his goodness to. Your identity is a child of God, forgiven, equipped, and you have everything necessary that God has ever promised to be loved and to be changed. Now, we would, I think, have a wonderful freedom in our lives if we could Think about that in the moment, right? I mean, if we, if we did want to change something, whether it be sin or just a day-to-day proclivity, if we knew that we could risk change and still be loved, we'd be much more greater risk-takers, wouldn't we? Then all of a sudden that would be growing in faith. If we wanted to repair a relationship that's incredibly unsecure, someone who continually makes you feel terrible, you might have the faith to risk repairing that relationship because you knew you had a single relationship that was secure. I'll begin to wrap things up by encouraging you to think about the prodigal son, the parable from Luke 15. In the parable, the son goes to the father 
and says, Dad, I, I'd like my inheritance now. Essentially, I wish you were dead. Can I have all my money now? And the father gives him the money. And the son goes out and, in a wonderfully ambiguous way, squanders it on riotous living, whatever that might be. And all of a sudden, his pockets are empty and his party is over, as are probably his friends. And so he has to get a job, and he starts working with pigs. And then he gets hungry and wants to start eating the leftover pig slop because he's so hungry. And a light goes off and said, like, My dad's servants have got leftovers in the fridge. Why am I eating leftover pig slop? I'm going to go home and, and ask dad to make me a servant. And on the way, as he's walking, his dad has been looking for him, scanning the horizon for his son to return. And when he sees his son on the horizon, the father runs to him and embraces him, kisses him, this nasty, smelly son. And the son says, Dad, just make me a servant. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me a servant. And the father's response is what? Are you kidding me? No, go, go get him a ring that shows the entire world that he's my son. Go get him a robe that is so much nicer than the rags that he's showing up on. And I'm not going to treat you like a servant. In fact, I'm going to throw a party and a festival. We're going to kill the fattened calf and we're going to invite everyone in because you've returned. Now, the son thought, I've rebelled against my dad. I've disobeyed. I squandered what he worked his whole life to earn. There's no way my father would treat me like a son. At best, I could hope he'll treat me like a slave. But the son's identity never changed. He continued to be that father's son. He continued to be loved, and extravagant grace was poured out on him, even as he was a horrible, dirty sinner. I'd like for us to think about that in the course of who we are. Because there are some of us that can very much relate to the prodigal. There's another side of that story. There's a very self-righteous brother, and some of us relate to him too. But either way, we need to consider, as we turn our hearts to God, what will be the response of the Father in the midst of this situation. And we need to hear that through Jesus Christ is an extravagant grace poured out. In practicality, a, a couple will go to bed tonight and they're angry at each other. And all manner of things have been said or done. Somewhere along the line, our hearts need to say, but God has affection for both of us. And that relationship is so secure, I can risk repairing this relationship. Or you go home and all manner of guilt is heaped upon you from mom or dad or whomever is <laughs> the wonderful guilt giver in your family. And you think, I'm just going to spend a lot less time with these people. <laughs> but then we think, you know what? Despite the fact they're terrible guilt givers, uh, Jesus Christ has wonderful affection for both of us. And I might be able to risk repairing this relationship if we both operate out of that secure relationship. You can proclaim the truths of Jesus Christ to someone who has no hope in your mind of ever believing it because no matter what their response is to you, your relationship with Jesus Christ is secure. 
Folks, if we are struggling with sin and we struggle with believing that God loves us through Jesus Christ, I, of course, encourage all of us, repent of your sin. If there are giant obstacles in the day-to-day working of your life in terms of who you think you are, and if those things through God are able to be changed, I encourage you to ask God to enable you to change those things. But in the course of that process, be secure that the work of Jesus Christ holds you in his hand, and he affectionately loves you and presents you to God, and nothing, no one, or circumstance will remove you from that secure relationship. My prayer for us is that as we share a meal in a moment and as we spend our weeks, I pray that we will begin to think with that beginning statement. Not, I'm a mom or dad or an engineer or whatever the case may be. That we'll begin with, I'm a loved child of God. And that enables me to do or be those other things. Let me pray for us. Father, without Jesus Christ, this would just be some sort of a go home, you know, don't worry, be happy type message. But it's so much more than that. If we have faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we are loved with the extravagant grace of the Father. And he pours that grace out on us when we obey, and that grace is still there for us when we disobey. If we don't look the way we want to look, or if we don't have the occupation or the place in life that we wish we had, your grace and who we are in Jesus Christ stays firm. And I pray for us that our identities would begin there. That we would begin to think of ourselves in terms of love, children of God, and then allow all those other things, who we are, what we do or don't do, I pray that they would flow out of that relationship. Give us a great boldness within this group of people to love each other well. Give us great boldness to repair broken relationships. Give us great boldness to proclaim this truth of Jesus Christ. And as we do these things, would you be glorified? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.